So you guys hear the excitement of that psalm? It's not just me, right? It's actually in there, right? This, this, this is a, a worship leader who's calling God's people to get fired up about God's wonderful redemption that he has given. Who he is and what he has done. What he has done being an example of who he is. So it starts out with, O oh, give thanks to the Lord. And, and the O oh matters, O-H. It, it's, it's an enthusiastic ex- exhortation. The psalmist is telling us to get hype. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Well, why? Why do we give thanks to the Lord? Because he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. We just sang that. That is like, I mean, I think it's like, it kind of just, sometimes I breeze over that. But do you know what that means? The steadfast love of the Lord for his people never had a beginning and it will never have an end. The steadfast love for you, Christian, from God Almighty has no beginning and it has no end. His steadfast love endures forever. And then the, the worship leader, the psalmist, isn't just trying to do this on his own. He wants, he, he wants the redeemed of the Lord to say so. He's saying, get involved in this. Let the redeemed of the Lord say something, is what I titled today's sermon. Whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. Anybody in here been redeemed by the Lord? Anybody in here been gathering in from all kinds of places, east, west, north, south? From the hood, from the country, from the church, from the street, from the right, from the left, from the poor, from the rich? There's a common denominator that anyone in here who has trusted in Christ has. No matter where you're from, no matter where you come from, no matter your age, your gender, your race, your stage of life, your opinions on COVID, your socioeconomic status, your background, There's one common denominator that supersedes all that, and it's this, redemption. It's that at one point in your life, if you're a Christian, you cried out to the Lord in your trouble, and he delivered you from your distress. This is the beautiful thing about the church. The church, local church and big C church, is God gathering in a motley crew of all types of people and redeems them. He gathers them in from all kinds of places, and then we have that one thing in common, him. He has redeemed us. He has delivered us. To take the language from the psalm, we were all lost and wandering, and the Lord led us by a straight way. We were all prisoners to sin and death, and the Lord set us free. We were all sin-sick and dying, and the Lord sent out his word and healed us. We were all going to be overtaken by the storms of sin and death, and Jesus took our place and made the storms be still. We are redeemed. For anyone who's a Christian, that is our common denominator. We have been redeemed by a God who is good and whose steadfast love endures forever. And I believe that would be the psalmist's thesis. You know, if anybody remembers writing, you know, essays or whatever with the, with the structure, yeah, you need your thesis statement, right? And then you need some supporting details. The psalmist's thesis, I believe, would be this. All of God's people from every place should praise God with one accord because of his never-ending steadfast love and redemption. So if you, if you wrote an essay and just turned in the thesis, you're not going to get a lot of credit. You need some supporting details, right? Well, that's the rest of this psalm. After, after the psalmist lays out his thesis, he gives his supporting details. And what it looks like is four pictures of redemption. Did you guys notice the, the four pictures as, as, I, as I recited and read the psalm? Yeah, so four pictures of God's steadfast love and redemption. And these aren't meant to be an exhaustive list of the way that God 
redeems his people. You know what I mean? So this isn't just, these are the four ways that God has ever redeemed people. What they're meant to be is to show us the redemption of God's people in a specific instance, but it points to a bigger picture of how he has redeemed us all in the eternal sense. So, for example, when we read about and we, and we hear about Jesus healing a blind man, he is making a blind person see, but there's a greater reality that that's pointing to, Right? You guys follow me? So what it's, what it's pointing to is that we were all spiritually blind and that God opened our eyes. I was blind, but now I see. So in, in that sense, these four pictures are supposed to point us to the greater reality that God has redeemed all his people in an eternal sense. So if you've never been wandering around in the wilderness lost, that's okay. This psalm's still for you. Because you might not have been in the wilderness lost, but does anyone here know what it's like to wander around in life with no direction? Does anyone know what it's like to wander around not finding what you're looking for, looking to arrive and never quite finding it? There may not be many in here have been locked up, but does anyone know what it's like to be in bondage to sin? There may not be a great number who are on their deathbed, but does anyone know what it's like to be suffering the consequences of your own sin with no way to heal yourself? There may not be many sailors in here. If there is, come to me up after the service. I'd like to get some stories from you. But there might not be many in here who have been stuck in a deadly storm, but does anyone know what it's like when the storms of life knock you over and make you want to give up? These four pictures that the psalmist gives are specific examples of God's redemption that are meant to point us to the greatest redemption, the redemption of our souls. So it's four pictures of God's redemption. We're going to go through them one by one, and I'll tell you right now, the first two are going to be a little longer than the last two. Kenny, can you grab my water? Right there. Thanks. So four, four pictures of God's redemption. Starts out with redeemed wanderers. You guys saw that, right, when I was reciting it? Redeemed wanderers. Some wandered in desert wastes, verse 4, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Anybody ever been lost? I was thinking about this, like those, like I see some young people here, those who are like under 25 years old might not know what it feels like to be lost. Like I remember my mom is sitting back there and she has probably been lost more than anyone in this room. And so like now you got GPSs, like you can reroute, like you, like there's, there's, there's apps for that. But there was a time when there wasn't, like you could really get lost and all you could do was try to guess Oh, how to get somewhere. Maybe you'd stop at a gas station and ask somebody, but then you're at the mercy of somebody at a gas station. They might send you in the opposite direction. I remember one time, we, uh, I think we were on our way back from the beach, and uh, we ended up in Atlantic City. And we, we, we went through like 10 tolls because we kept going the wrong way, and we were out of money. We didn't have any money left. And we're trying to get, get past, and we can't get past the toll. This was also before Easy Pass, or at least before we had one. And so I remember pulling over on the side of the road and ripping the car apart, looking for nickels and dimes and anything that might get us through. And we eventually did. And I think that's probably true of all of our cars. They say there was a national coin shortage. I think if we all did what we did in Atlantic City that night, we'd, we'd solve the coin shortage. But the point is that, that if you've ever been lost, you understand the desperate situation that that is. And... Anyone who has, you know, anyone apart from Christ knows what it's like to actually be lost in more than a driving sense, but actually lost in life, wandering around, just thinking that, that you'll find what you're looking for in the things of this world. That's my story. 
I was a, I, I'm a redeemed wanderer. My name's Gabe. I'm a redeemed wanderer. I spent most of my life thinking that if I just got this thing, if I just got that group of friends that I really wanted to be in in high school, I would finally arrive. But then I would get there, and it wasn't it. If I just got that girlfriend that I really wanted, then I'd finally arrive. Nope. If I was the captain of the football team, if I was... If I got uh, into the right college, if I got the right job, if I had the right money. But every time I would get there, it was like a mirage in the desert. It would disappear. The book of Ecclesiastes calls it a striving after wind, which is hilarious to me, that picture, right? Go outside and try to catch the wind. It'll be a, I'll, I'll, it'll be a funny YouTube video. I'll maybe get famous off of it. You can't do it. That's what wandering around in life apart from God is, that we'll never arrive. We'll never find what we're looking for. And that's what we see here is that, it, it, that these people are wandering with no way to a city to dwell in. And not only that, it gets worse for them. They were hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them. So not only are they lost, but they're going to die of thirst and hunger if something doesn't change. Their soul is fainting away. And this was the state of all of our souls before we were redeemed. Hungry, thirsty, and unsatisfied. They're in a desperate spot. What do these wanderers do? What do they do? They cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And what does God do? He delivers them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. If you're redeemed in here, it's because the Lord led you by a straight way. Do you know what the Bible says is the way? Who the Bible says is the way? Jesus, John 14, Jesus is the way. If you're redeemed, it's because the Lord led you to the way, Jesus. He satisfied your longing soul, as the psalm says, and your hungry soul he filled with good things. Any other redeemed wanderers in here? Thank the Lord for his steadfast love. That's what the psalmist is saying. Thank the Lord for his steadfast love and his wondrous works to the children of man. I'm going to talk a little bit about this later, but is being redeemed a one-and-done thing? Calling out to God, being delivered, it's not a one-and-done thing. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but I want us, as we think about this, to realize this isn't just some uh, chapter in your history book that you called out to God in your trouble and he delivered you. This is a continual thing. We're saved once. Praise God. No one will ever pluck us from his hand. But we will continue to cry out to God, and he will continue to deliver us. The second picture of the redeemed, redeemed prisoners. It says, this is verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in honor and in irons. I'm not going to ask by a show of hands who's been in prison in here, but my guess is it wouldn't be a huge number. So we can just move on to the number three, right? Not so fast. God's word tells us that we were all prisoners. We were all enslaved to our sin and totally unable to break free on our own. Like the people described here, we had, verse 11, rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. That is all of our stories at some point in our life. We had rebelled against God and spurned his counsel, and we were enslaved to sin. No matter how good we looked on the outside, no matter how religious we grew up, no matter how much earthly success we had, God's word is clear that spiritually we were all prisoners in affliction and in irons. I've done a lot of ministry with addicts, and I'll tell you, I don't know if there's a more popular verse in the, in the addict community than this, and rightfully so. Guys that are hyped to see that God can help them break the chains of addiction in their lives. But is it just for them? 
The bottom line is we're all locked up apart from Christ with no key and no way out, enslaved to our own sin, just like the people described here. And what do the people described here do? They cry out to God in their trouble, and he delivers them from their distress. He shatters the doors of bronze. He cuts into the bars of iron. Anybody in here had their cuffs shattered, broken out? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let the redeemed of the Lord, let the redeemed prisoners in here say something. You can say amen. Now, before I move on from number two, I want to address something. I think it's really important. It's something that precedes the people crying out to the Lord. So that's verse 12. It says that after it says that they rebelled and they spurned the counsel of God, it says that he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. Man, sometimes we wish that verse wasn't there, right? That's a little harsh, isn't it? He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. Sometimes the kindest thing that God can do for us is to knock us down to our knees so that we cry out to him and experience his amazing grace. God's heart beats to deliver those who cry out to him and show them amazing grace. Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lowly puts it this way. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It's his very heart. It's what gets him up in the morning. As sure as this pen's going to hit the ground, is as sure as the Lord will eagerly deliver those who cry out to him. And guys, this, this, he bowed their hearts down in hard labor. This is a difficult truth. And yet it's a beautiful truth about our perfect father is that he'll actually allow us to fall down into a desperate situation to lead us to that moment of crying out to him so that we can experience his amazing grace. You know, we've talked about this already this morning, but do we look at our troubles in this way? Do we look at our troubles as items to be managed by us or opportunities to cry out to God and experience his amazing grace? That person who's really hard to love right now, that job situation that's really tough, that difficult class, that broken family relationship, that addiction you can't kick, the death of a loved one, that sickness, that difficult decision you have to make. Do we look at these things as items to be managed by us or opportunities to cry out to God and experience his amazing grace and deliverance? If our struggles and trials lead us to our knees to cry out to God, they're actually truly blessings. And I know that that is a hard, hard truth to believe, and sometimes it might even be a hard truth to hear for those especially who are really going through it right now. So let me try to be really clear. I'm not saying that these trials, these awful effects of a fallen world are good things. They're not good things. Cancer is a horrible thing. Abuse is wicked. Addiction is ugly. Death is awful. I know that, you know that, and our Savior Jesus knows that. That's why you saw Jesus crying, weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. He knew it wasn't supposed to be this way. These trials themselves are not good things. They are horrific effects of a sinful and fallen world. And at the exact same time, because our God is a redeeming God and because our God is, is an amazing God, he will use these things to bring us to our knees where we cry out to him and experience the ultimate gift, which is more of him. 
God loves us too much to only give us earthly comfort, health, and wealth. He wants to give us so much more than that. He wants to give us himself. We just sang it, and as I'm, we're singing, I'm, I'm just like, this is, this is awesome that the Spirit is tying these things together. But we are never lacking when we have Jesus. And, and sometimes our trials can lead us to more of him if we allow them to and if we cry out to God in our trouble. This is why Jesus says, in the world, you'll have trouble. Jesus, is, he's straight up. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't leave it in the fine print, right? He says, in this, in this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. He wants more for us than a trouble-free life. He wants us to have a growing, eternal relationship with the one who has overcome the world. This is such an important point that if it's twisted, it can lead us down some dangerous and wrong views about God. Before we move on, just look at the language of the psalm with me. It says that they cried to the Lord in their what? Trouble. And he delivered them from their what? Distress. So even in the psalm, we see that God doesn't always deliver us from that trouble in this world. But he will deliver us from our distress. He will give us the peace that surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4 says. And he doesn't promise us a trouble-free life, but he promises to be with us in the trouble and to lead us through it. He may not deliver you from that earthly trouble. We should cry out to him that he would, but he has delivered you from the ultimate trouble, sin and death, and he will give you the grace and peace to persevere through this fallen world to the day when he wipes every tear away and he makes every sad thing untrue. So we had redeemed wanderers, redeemed prisoners. Number three, redeemed fools. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. Guys, I really love this one. I'm not going to lie. As I prepared this message, this, this section brought me to tears several times. Um, is anyone else thankful that there's redemption from God for fools? Because we all experience trials just from this fallen world, right? Like death, sickness, so on and so forth. But some trials are specifically because we are our foolish sin. Our sin can lead us to a place of absolute despair. We can all land in the place that the psalm describes here, that we are loathing any kind of food and drawing near to the gates of death. And it's our fault. And God will still show compassion on us and he'll still redeem us. Is anyone else thankful for that? I'm glad that our Father in heaven is not a father like me. Because if I'm honest... My son recently had a stomach bug, and he was throwing up, and I felt, like, the compassion I felt for him, like, it hurt my heart when I saw him suffer under the effects of this fallen world. But when he ate a pound of dog food after I've told him a hundred times not to eat the dog food, and then he got sick, I struggle a little bit more with the compassion. <laughs> I'm so thankful that our Father in heaven is not like that. Our Father in heaven sees us in our despair that's due to our own foolishness and has compassion and mercy on us. How can our foolishness lead us to despair? This might look a lot of different ways. You could come with me and Andy to Chester County Prison and find a lot of people in this situation. Their sin has led them to despair and, and, and loathing life and drawing near to the gates of death. But it's not just them. Our foolishness can lead us to despair as well. Unfaithfulness might lead you to a broken marriage. Anger could lead you to broken relationships. Screen addiction can lead you to depression and anxiety. 
Fudging numbers or cutting corners could lead, lead you to lose your job. Cheating on a test could lead you to fail a class. These are some examples of how our sin can land us in that place of despair. Aren't you thankful that our foolishness does not outrun the mercy of God? Guys, the reason this brought me to tears as I'm driving here this morning is because I thought about my friend. I lost a dear friend this week, um, and his name was Anthony Vitale. And if you met this guy, some of you guys have, he was the most joyful man. He had the joy of the Lord like no one I've ever met. And he had a lifelong struggle with heroin addiction, and also he had Lyme's disease. He had health issues. And this week, the Lord brought him home. The, the struggle's over for Anthony, and I firmly believe that he is worshiping in a way that we can only imagine right now. When I thought about the redemption for fools in their sin, and I thought about the way that God shows compassion on people whose sin lands them in the dirt, I thought about Anthony. And the people in this world who just, just basically got to a point with him where it's just like, dude, get it together, Okay? Like, you, like people as close as, as family to say, listen, when you get it together, we can talk about having a relationship. That is not our God. He meets you in that place, in that place of despair. If you cry out to him, he will deliver you from their distress. He sends out his word and heals you and delivers you from your destruction. That happened to my friend Anthony. That's happened to me. And if anyone in here that that's happened to, let the redeemed of the Lord say something. He meets us in that place of brokenness. He meets us in that place of despair. He sends out his word and heals them, the scripture says. Who's the word? John 1, Jesus. This is, you guys want to hear Christmas in, in one sentence? He sent out his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destruction, right from this psalm. Because Jesus came and went to the cross as if he was the fool in his sin and iniquity. He didn't just draw near to the gates of death. He went through the gates of death to deliver sinful fools like you and me. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Redeemed wanderers, redeemed prisoners, redeemed fools. Number four. Redeemed coasters, not the ones you put your drinks on. So this is the one where the, the guys are going down to sea in ships. I spent a lot of time studying this. It was, it was mysterious to me. But it's, it's just, I call them redeemed coasters, not in a negative sense. I'm not saying that these guys are, are uh, I don't know much about them. Um, and matter of fact, I don't even know that they're guys. They might be guys and girls. They're getting into a boat. It's just a day in the office for them. They're probably doing importing, exporting. They're getting into a boat. They're doing business on the great waters, it says. So they're probably getting up for work, maybe saying goodbye to their family, getting on a boat. Time to make the donuts, you know, just another day in the office. But something happens. They saw the works of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. He commanded and raised the stormy winds, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. That's metaphorical. He's saying like they are on huge waves about to die. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. And then what did they do? They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Maybe some of you feel the way these guys did in the boat right now. You're in the midst of some brutal storms. Your courage is melting away, as the psalm says. You're at your wit's end. God wants to meet you in that place. 
God doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to cry out to him and experience his amazing grace. Like I already said, does that mean he's definitely going to fix your circumstance? Not necessarily, but he does want to give you himself, and he wants to relieve your anxiety. He wants to give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. Maybe some of you can relate more to the sailors when they were getting into the boat, right? So when they were getting into the boat, it was just a regular old Tuesday or whatever day it was, right? Just another day in the office. Things are going just fine. Maybe you can relate more to that. Everything's cool. There's not really any need to desperately cry out to the Lord. And I think in the area we live in and the, and the makeup of our church, I think a lot of us may land in this place. Everything's basically okay. Like, I don't have any super desperate situations in my life, so I don't find myself desperately crying out to God a lot. This is a dangerous spot to be in spiritually. Kenny, two nights ago, talked about the note that Luther carried around in his pocket. Anybody remember what it said? We are all beggars. Something that Martin Luther really wanted to remind himself every day. Even if circumstantially everything is going fine, we should be desperately crying out to God. And let me just give some diagnostics of maybe why we don't do that, and I'm going to take them from my own life. Part of the reason I don't cry out to God a lot, as much as I would like to, is because I don't always feel desperate. I'm just coasting. Not desperate. This could be for a couple reasons. One, I might be coasting, not desperate, because I forget the difficult calling that God actually has put on my life. God has called me to be like Jesus, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. My kids didn't experience a lot of that this week. I desperately need God. I'm called to love my wife as Christ loved the church. God, I'm desperate. I need you. I can't do that on my own. I'm desperate for him. I'm called to make disciples of all nations and share the good news with those around me. I can't do that on my own. God, I'm desperate. I need you. God calls me to keep my eyes and heart pure, and sometimes I find myself scrolling around through garbage. God, I'm desperate. I need you. Another reason, number two, another reason I might not feel desperate and I'm not crying out to God is I'm only thinking about myself. Who around me is going through storms? I need to cry out to God for them. Who in my family is not saved? I need to cry out to God for their salvation, my coworkers, my neighbors who aren't saved. I'm desperate, God. I can't save them. I need you to move. The over 2 billion people who have never heard the gospel I'm praying that the Lord would send, har- send workers into the harvest. We are desperate for him to do that. There are hundreds of thousands of abortions still happening each year in America. Am I desperately crying out to God for that? People are starving. People are being trafficked. There's poverty. 150 million orphans in the world. Racism. Mental health crises. All on and on and on. If I'm just coasting through life without seeking to push back against this darkness... These awful effects of the sinful world, perhaps that's why I don't find myself desperately crying out to God. I believe that if we took the commands of the New Testament seriously, things like the Great Commission, things like bear one another's burdens, things like Matthew 25, welcome the stranger, visit the sick and imprisoned, feed the hungry. I think if we took these things, 
as seriously as the, the Spirit wants us to, we would quickly grow more and more as individuals as a church who are desperately crying out to God and experiencing his amazing grace and power. Just like the wanderers, the prisoners, the sin-sick fools, the sailors, those who cry out to God in their trouble are the ones who experience the exceeding joy of God's steadfast love and redemption. I want some of that. Do you guys want some of that? I pray that we grow this next year as a church who is crying out to God in our trouble and experiencing his amazing grace. And that this auditorium right now will be a place where verse... 32, that we would be extolling him in the congregation of the people and praising him in the assembly of the elders. Why? Because we're crying out to him desperately and he's coming through for us every time. So those are the four pictures of God's redeemed. That's their story. Redeemed wanderers, redeemed prisoners, redeemed fools, redeemed coasters. What's your story? I encourage you, I challenge you, write out, write out your story this week. And even use the language from this psalm, right, that, that I had you guys going back and forth with me on. Write out your story and, and let the redeemed of the Lord say something. Like I said earlier, this isn't a one and done thing, redemption. I heard it explained to me as a young believer, and I'll use the language of this psalm. The Christian life is basically one big crying out to the Lord in your trouble and him delivering you from your distress, at your salvation, followed by millions of more smaller crying out to the Lord in your, in your trouble and him delivering you from your distress. So this isn't just how we're saved. This is actually, Colossians 1 says, it just came to mind. Colossians 1 says, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So how we received him is we cried out to him in our desperation. He delivered us from our distress. Paul in the book of Colossians is saying, that's how you should walk with him. So every day, every, every hour, Every time, you need, we need to be crying out to him in our trouble, and he will deliver us from our distress. All right, I'm almost done. I, what, the last thing I want to do is I want to read this last section. I was tempted to skip this section because it's a little odd, and without study, you might just breeze over it, but it has everything to do with what we just talked about. All right, so, and, and not only that, but it, the song, Darren sung as well. You guys are going to see why I'm sitting in my chair um, fired up at, at the way the Spirit strung these things together. All right, so as I read these, these verses, which is 33 through 43, I want you guys to, 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 to look out for contrasts, all right? This is how this psalm that we've been talking about ends. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste, but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So what are some contrasts you see in there? Some um, earthly things, right? Like we were singing about, right? Uh, uh, desert into pools of water, pools of water into a desert. But the, the, the greater meaning, when you get, that's all pointing to something. The big contrast that we're seeing here is the needy. Versus the self-reliant. 
When it says evil here, it's actually referring to self-reliant people who think that they don't need God. And when it says needy and hungry, it's saying those are the people that are going to experience the amazing blessings of God. And Jesus says this himself, right? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. That's the, the contrast that you're seeing there. Do you see how that has everything to do with the rest of the psalm? It's not a disconnected bridge of this song. This is part of the song. So I'll go back to the question I asked at the beginning. If there was one character trait that you would really like to mark you in 2022, what would it be? I believe that the psalmist would answer neediness. You're not going to find that in any self-help books this year. (laughs) But you're going to find it in Psalm 107, and you're going to find it all throughout God's word. God delights in needy people who allow him to flex his amazing grace in their weakness. Will you allow him to do that? See, we get this twisted because we generally don't like needy people. I mean, let's be honest. We, 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 we try, but, but it's, it's hard to really love needy people. So sometimes we think God's like us, right? Like, oh my gosh, this guy again? This girl again? What is it this time? You need me again? So this is the way we think because that's how we are. Back to Gentle and Lowly. If you can't tell, I love that book. Read it this year. Dane Ortland says, Our unbelieving hearts tread cautiously. Is it not presumptuous audacity to draw on the mercy of God in an unfiltered way? Shouldn't we be measured and reasonable, careful not to pull too much on him? Would a father with a suffocating child want his child to draw on the oxygen tank in a measured and reasonable way? If there was something about God if there was something, a character, tra- character trait that you wanted to grow in in 2022, I believe the psalmist would say neediness. Crying out to God all day, every day, and experiencing his amazing grace. And we'll end with this last thing. If there was one thing about God you wanted to believe more in 2022, what would it be? I believe the psalmist would answer that his steadfast love endures forever, and he has a 100% deliverance rate to anyone who would cry out to him. I pray that we as a church would grow in our neediness and that our neediness, we would cry out to God and allow him to show his amazing steadfast love that endures forever for us. He redeems wanderers. He redeems prisoners. He redeems fools. He redeems coasters. He redeems anyone who would call out to him. He is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen.